Hey, Pioneers, welcome to episode number 290. Look at us getting close to 300. Well, today's episode is a really fun one, and I'm really excited for you to listen to it. I got some great tips, and I know you will too. And we are centering around finding time for what is important and time management hacks to make homesteading while working full-time more realistic. So I think you are really going to enjoy quite a few of these hacks and tips. In fact, as I was doing this interview, you'll hear where I had my own little aha moment and found a way to use what she was sharing with us. Uh, right, Well, almost right then and there. I would say I had to get off of the recording the podcast in order to go and implement it. But I'm really excited because I feel like this episode gives us some really good tactical tips And all of us, we all have the same 24 hours in the day, but there are people who seem like they get a lot more done in those 24 hours. And it all comes down to how we manage our time. So I'm always looking for ways to improve my own productivity and my own time management. And I think you're really going to enjoy those tips. But you're really going to enjoy today's guest. And we share some really fun and some entertaining uh, takeaways and stories too that I think you'll just laugh right along with us. And that is one of the reasons that I really like today's guest. And it is Anne. You may know her from online as Anne of All Trades. And if not, then you are in for a treat. Anne, she's a farmer, builder, and educator who's intent on preserving disappearing life skills. What's really awesome about Anne's story, which she'll dive into, and I'm going to cut to the interview here in just a moment, but she, 10 years ago, she had very little prior knowledge of homesteading or building things. So she's very much self-taught, but she's really jumped in with both feet and managed to do a ton in that amount of time. And one of the things that I really enjoy about her is I first started following Anne actually on Instagram. I found her on Instagram. I'm not even sure how. I think somebody I follow must have shared something of hers. And and I found her feed and I'm like, oh, this girl looks really fun. And so I started following her. And through her daily stories, the thing that I really enjoyed was her bubbliness, but her just her pure joy. She just always seems happy and positive. And even when she's sharing some hard things, she still looks for the good And I really like that. I want more of that in my life and in the people that I'm around and obviously in my feed, even on social media. And so one night, um, you'll hear the story. I shared something and Anne and I started messaging back and forth on Instagram and became like instant best friends. And I'm like, okay, if I am enjoying her this much, then I know my listeners on the Pining Today podcast will as well. And so I'm super excited to introduce you to Anne. So Her and her husband now live in Nashville, which I'm bemoaning the fact a little bit because they only moved to Nashville a year ago. And prior to that, I don't know how we didn't meet beforehand and actually lived in the Pacific Northwest, not too far away from me. But I do also believe in God's timing and we were meant to meet later on when she already lives in Tennessee. But I want to get you straight into these tips. I think you're really going to enjoy them. And I can't wait to hear which ones were like little aha moments for you and to see what happens when you put them into action. As always, for any of the stuff that Anne or I are talking about for different links or that type of things, or for the transcript of the episode, the written blog post, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 290, just the let, uh, not the letters, (laughs) 
the numbers 290 because this is episode number 290. So MelissaKNorris.com forward slash 290. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode. I am so excited to visit with Anne, who is known as Anne of All Trades, today on the podcast. So Anne, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I love that we finally get to sit down and have this talk after our little budding romance that's been happening online. Yes. So you guys, it's really funny. I was kind of stalking Anne on Instagram and following her stories and I probably had followed your stories, I will say, for like a month. And one of the things that struck me in your stories is you exude this joy, even when things are like going hard, which you show that part too, but you just had this aura of joy. And I'm like, I really like this girl. And so you had posted a picture of your baby goats, which how does it get any cuter than baby goats? I don't know. And I showed it to my husband. You had the goats and the totes. And I showed it to my husband and it is the first time I swear the man has never been like an immediate hard no. He didn't. It wasn't a yes, but it wasn't a hard no. And I'm like, ah. and I'm like, oh, and so I shared it to my stories and I'm like, hey, it wasn't a hard no. And you responded back. And then we just started messaging. And I want to say we were we messaged back and forth for like two hours. It was one of those meant to be friendships. And so ever since then, I've been so excited to get to talk to you, even though, yes, we are doing this virtually on Zoom, but I'm super excited to talk to you because I want to find out more about your story. And I think that listeners will find it very interesting and fascinating, get lots of tips too. So for those who have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet or seeing your stuff, give me a little bit of your background, like the 10 years ago picture where your journey kind of started uh, to now. Perfect. Okay. So I uh, moved from Taipei, Taiwan to Seattle, Washington um, about 10 years ago. And that was the first time in my life that I'd ever had a garage or a yard that could actually be utilized or used. And I always said that I was never going to live in America, but um, you know, my, my husband lived in Seattle and he, he convinced me to come back and I was like, okay, well, while I'm here for this season, I'm going to utilize this, this garage. Cause I've always wanted to have a garage like my grandpa had that, that had kind of all the tools to fix or to do anything that you could imagine. You could just do it in there. And then I wanted to use the, the backyard of the house, which we were living in the middle of Seattle. So it was not a huge yard or anything, but um, urban farming is pretty popular there. So I was like, I'm going to get rabbits and chickens. I'm going to dig up the backyard. I'm going to plant some fruit trees and we're just going to, we're just going to go all in here. And I'm going to be able to do all the things that I never could, um, you know, because I grew up, my parents are missionaries. So we, we traveled the world um, and didn't really ever have, we can have pets or, or, you know, anything else because we were constantly on the move. So uh, that's when that all started. I accidentally created an Instagram account and I accidentally shared my first few posts uh, that it turns out other people could see. I thought it was a photo editing app and I was making like a little collage, but I pretty much instantly realized like if people are seeing this and people are interacting with it, then this is going to be an incredible tool to connect me to other people um, who have similar interests because I mean, after college or whatever else it's, I think it's really hard to, for adults to meet people. Uh, just because of the way that our society is structured now. And I was like, well, this is going to be my chance to meet people that have common interests. As I grow in this journey, I want to be able to to share what I learned along the way. 
And I've been doing that pretty much ever since on Instagram. And my interests are very varied and very wide. And so, you know, you, you never know what you're actually going to see on my page, whether it's blacksmithing or woodworking or gardening or canning and preserving or taking care of baby goats or, you know, who knows, fixing a ATV that I traded my neighbor a pack of Coors Light for whatever uh it's all there and and it's just we i started in that backyard and then we ended up um, having the opportunity to buy a a three and a half acre farm in like right outside seattle and then we moved actually last year on january 1st uh to nashville area and we now have much larger acreage and now i'm doing beef cattle and uh i got a dairy cow this year i still raise uh, nigerian dwarf goats and chickens and all the things. And then we have a garden and, you know, try to live as sustainably as possible, but also try to, you know, kind of barter with our neighbors as much as possible as well, so that we can really have a very community centered way of providing for all of our needs. So, yeah, I mean, that's a very long winded way of saying all that stuff, but I'm also building a craft school where we can learn like disappearing life skills as well. All those things are very near and dear to my heart, and I love them. And actually, for encapsulating 10 years, you did a pretty good job. So prior to that, because you said you grew up as a missionary, so you didn't really, you didn't come from a background of growing up, of knowing how to have a garden, knowing how to raise dairy animals or beef animals or doing canning, uh, preserving, you know, the homesteading skills that we think of when we think of homesteading. So in 10 years, you went from not knowing that to doing a lot of things, actually, as well as the woodworking and some mechanicking from what you shared, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have, I, I have, it's a blessing and a curse, but I have a very short attention span, but an ability to dive extremely deep very quickly on uh, into things. And so that's really helped me along the way because, yeah, I didn't grow up with, I mean, it's funny, it's the, my first pet of my entire life was a uh, one of my, one of Adam's, my husband's sisters gave me a kitten for my birthday uh, after, like after I'd started this whole like, you know, homesteading journey. And that was my first animal that I ever had. And they gave it to me as a joke because I hated cats. Uh, and, 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 you know, so I'd never had a pet before. And so going from having a pet to having 80, lot, 80 animals is, is a big jump even within that time period. But even though I didn't grow up with all of this stuff, I think it is important to like mention, I guess, that I grew up kind of adjacent to a lot of it because, you know, my grandpa grew up in the Great Depression and he was a very much, very much a do-it-yourselfer, like never called a repairman in his life, fixed everything. That's the garage full of tools that he had. And then um, because actually my, my brother is allergic to basically living so we had to make everything from scratch, uh, cooking wise growing up um, to make sure that there weren't any ingredients that he was allergic to. Plus we had no money. So, um, you know, I grew up seeing all of these things happen, but not knowing necessarily how to do them all myself. Okay. And we actually had, there's some, a lot of similarities there, even though, um, you saying your grandpa and that was, that was my dad. Um, we, yeah, he did all, most all of his own mechanicking. Um, in fact, he's so funny because even to this day, he refuses to buy new vehicles because he does not have any uh, like electronic as far as mechanical, uh, like computer skills. And he's like, 
these newfangled vehicles, he's like, something goes out on that dumb computer part of them and you just can't fix them. And so all of his vehicles are really old because he can still work on them and fix them. So anyways, I see a lot of correlation um, between your grandpa and my dad and and that, that aspect of us growing up. Oh, absolutely. And I will actually echo your dad a thousand times. I don't like, I didn't grow up knowing anything. I mean, I had never even changed my own oil until probably five years ago. Um, but I mean, I think really necessity becomes the mother of all invention because we, we, I mean, we have not had any money at our disposal basically my entire life. And so when I was a kid, I was really, I really wanted a go-kart and I wanted to build like, but if I was going to have a go-kart, I had to like find some trash and then build it. But I, and I tried, I tried very, very hard, but I never was successful. Um, but then one of the first projects that I did when I got my, my garage and started to get tools was I built my first go-kart and that was really fun. But that go-kart then led to other things. And I'm actually now working on a 1953 Chevy truck, but I literally, I, I refuse to buy anything that's less than 20 years old because if, if an electronic part or, or computer part or something like those problems are not diagnosable to someone like me. Um, because yeah, they're just, it's an electronic thing. It's not a, with my 53 Chevy, like I, if something's wrong, I can physically see that there is a problem and I can then fix it. Yes. My dad is the same way. And I do not, I can change oil, but that is pretty much the only thing that I know how to do mechanical wise. So I will be very, (laughs) very upfront on that, but he's, yeah, he's right there with you. He loves the, the older vehicles. What I think is really amazing, though, is you have really developed a lot of skill sets and even skill sets within the homesteading. Like you said, you've been doing blacksmithing and the woodworking and even the, the mechanicing, which I think are all homestead skills, the ability to be able to fix or to build what you have or what you need. But that's a lot that you've packed in to those 10 years. So how is it that you've been able to do so much? <laughs> well, that's actually funnily enough. Um, this is this is this is a funny thing about the internet. I think people look on and see what I'm doing, and I actually I get asked that question all the time. Like, how is it that you do all the things that you do? And really, um, I would actually counter that with a funny little thing: is that actually my greatest life struggle, my entire life, has been time management. Um, and so I I have always lived under a very heavy cloud of shame and guilt about all the things that I should be doing or should be doing more efficiently or should be doing quicker or better or, or whatever it, whatever it is. So when people say that to me, it, it always strikes me as a little funny because I'm like, I, but I'm not even doing enough. Um, but here's the funny thing about that. I think that, um, you know, we're, we're now in the age of the internet. We get to see a, a picture perfect version every time we open our phones of what, what things should look like or, or whatever else. And I think one of the most helpful things that I've learned along the way is, is something that another creator says, she says, never compare your beginning to someone else's middle. And that's been really helpful for me because what I've actually learned over the last 10 years is that each one of these skills that they're like each one of these homesteading skills, like it is a skill in and of itself. Um, If you've never baked bread before, um, then to suddenly try to bake your own bread and grow all your own food and can and preserve and get goats and milk them and make cheese and like, um, you know, build all your own furniture and fix your car when it's broken and, and have chickens and, and all, all of those things that you see as, as, as that middle, uh, that is impossible. And you're setting yourself up for so much failure and so much heartbreak and so much frustration if you're, 
if you're trying to start right there. Really, I think what the the key to me being able to do as much as I have is that I've been incrementally adding to whatever I'm doing from the beginning. So um, I started out, like I said, I didn't grow up with this stuff, but I was adjacent to it. So I already knew how to bake bread from scratch and how to, you know, how to cook with what we had because we didn't have any money. And like when I was eight, my parents were, were both working full time. And so I started taking on all of the cooking duties. So I learned a lot, like a lot of the things that, that are, that are those basic skills that seem like they're super time consuming and super, um, you know, capacity stealing and all those things. Like I learned how to do those already when I was pretty young. So I was, even when I started gardening and all those things and, and woodworking and all those things, it was, it was adding those things on to what I already knew incrementally, not all at once. And so now um, I think people look at something like baking bread. And if you've only baked bread a couple of times, it's going to take you a half an afternoon to do that. And so you're looking at me baking bread and assuming that it's also taking me that long, but I've baked so much bread at this point that if I start with flour and water, I have a loaf in the oven within eight or nine minutes. And then I have a half an hour in the kitchen while it's baking to go to do 10 other meal prep things while I'm in there. And so really the, the thing about doing so much is actually just learning how to take things slow, giving yourself grace, grace and patience and incrementally adding to each skill as you start, as it, as it becomes kind of automatic. Yes. Oh my goodness. I completely agree with you because I look back on my own journey and it was about 10 years ago that I really got serious about cooking from scratch. And I mean, like making my own bone broth and doing sourdough instead of store-bought yeast. So I do still use some store-bought yeast. I have some things that I like really is sourdough and some with yeast. But when I first started that, I could not imagine looking at what I cook and what I do now back then. There, yeah. I, it was just so overwhelming. But now I, you know, it's just part of that. Like you said, it's just part of that daily routine and you figure out your own routines and, and what works and you can do it much faster, a lot more efficient at it uh, because of that time of practice. But, but a lot of that, like you said, it's incremental and it's not going to happen right off the bat. It's that building thing, which I think is really important. Um, and a lot of us, even myself, like now, when I want to look like I am, aged cheeses, like doing those aged cheeses and needing to get a press and all of that. Like I really want to do it, but I don't have the experience in it and it feels overwhelming. And I look at Instagram, for example, or even YouTube and people who are doing these beautiful, like waxed aged cheeses that have all the beautiful mold on them and all these different intricacies in these cheese caves and these cheese fridges. And I'm like, I want it so bad. But then I'm like, I don't have the time to do that, which is not true. That is not true. I do if I want to make the time for it, but because it's not part of like my normal routine, like making yogurt and kefir and all the other things are, it feels like there's no way I can fit that in. Yeah. Well, and then here's the next like real piece of it. And you're like, you just gave me the best sequitur ever. It's not even a sequitur. I do this all the time. And then my business partner makes fun of me. He's like, you're making up words. It's a non sequitur if it doesn't <laughs> follow, but it's not a sequitur if it does follow. Anyway, whatever. Uh, the, the other real key to key to all of this is, is to then start with whatever you've got, because then you can incrementally add to it. So just like, I mean, you were, we, we, we were talking right before this started and you were talking about some of the other cheeses that you've made and you're, you're going to the grocery store and you're doing, um, you know, you're doing some soft cheeses and things like that. And that really, that's how you get to doing the hard cheeses, because right now 
it seems like a big deal to do a hard cheese. And I'll tell you, I've made like some hard cheeses and, and, and uh, other things like that, that it's just like the first time I made more beer cheese, like it took nine hours. Like when, when do we ever have nine hours to just be like, I'm going to make some cheese for nine hours. Like, <laughs> amen. <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. Like that's seriously such a joke, but like I started it and then it ended up taking nine hours. And then, you know, I was up till 4 a.m finishing all the rest of the things that I was supposed to do that day because it ended up taking nine hours, not just like the hour that it should have taken if I knew what I was doing. But that, but that's a huge part of the process is that you have to eventually you like, and not eventually, like right now you have to use with what's what you have available to do the small version of the big thing that you see. So you're taking little steps every day towards the big thing that you want to do. That is so key. And I tend to be a person who likes to, I like the finished product and Mm -hmm. I like to jump in with the after, but there's always the before in that messy middle. And I think it's really easy for us to forget or want to skip that part, but it's really where most of our life is spent, honestly. Yeah, it really is. And like, I, um, like I have really, really struggled with, with that exact same thing. I have spent so, I probably spent so like, at least probably the first, like, the later half of my twenties and the 30, 31, like really, really frustrated all the time. And like, like not, and frustrated with myself and frustrated about the, the slow progress and, and, you know, just diving right into that comparison game. Um, and it, it really crippled me. Um, but it really, when I, when I started to realize, Hey, like, it's not like, it's not just you. Um, it's a lot of, it's everyone. And some people have natural proclivities to pick things up quicker or whatever else. And I'm very good at some things that like naturally that other people aren't and vice versa. Um, But there is so like that life happens in the messy middle. I love that. I love that phrase that you just said, but yeah, Yeah. the real life happens and the real learning happens in that messy middle. Um, Like, you know, I didn't, when I got my first dairy goat six years ago, I did not know any of the things that I now talk about, you know, with, with like, with fluidity, like it's a whole second language that I've learned. I mean, it's, I chased that thing around and got rug burns on my knees. Cause I didn't even know <laughs> that you were supposed to tie it up. And like that, mil- that like, you know, I just thought it would stand there and let me milk it. I had never even milked a goat before, but I thought it would be a good idea to get a milk goat. We have very similar personalities. I love that. You're like, let's, let's, you're a doer. And I love that. I think it's a really good skill for homesteaders to have. Now can, it can get people in trouble, but I think you have to have sometimes that thing where you're just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump in and I'm going to learn as I go. Yeah. A hundred percent. I like, and I think that that, I mean, I think that that's pretty characteristic of people that are actually homesteading instead of the people that are still dreaming about homesteading is the fact that they're just willing to jump in. And like, I will say, I mean, I have so much unsolicited advice for people, anyone who wants to just like have someone yell at them. Like I will be happy to do that for you. Um, but in the really, most kind way possible, yeah, yeah, loving <laughs> because, because I have your best interest in heart. I'm like, I have, I have struggled so much. Like the funny, I mean, I always use goats as an example. Like it, um, goats are the natural next step. You've had chickens, you have a little bit of property. You've, you've started baking your own bread. You have your own like little raised bed. It's like the natural thing. At least the homesteading world tells you is then to get goats when really goats are like the most ornery, like goats should never be your first choice, like ever, ever, ever. 
because there's but but like once you get to know who goats are and like how to how to manage them and everything like that then you can build a setup but I think almost everyone like gets their first farm property like they have like a suggestion of a former fence like a whisper of a piece of wood that's like termite holding hands and they're like oh my gosh I can finally get livestock I'm gonna do it and then their goats are out on the highway three minutes later which has never happened to me uh, that happened to me like my first five years of having goats but anyway I, okay. I digress no this is funny because so I was raised with beef cattle. That was actually the only livestock that we had growing up. And I did help my dad. I was with him every single night when we were feeding. That's why I learned how to drive an old Ford stick shift truck when I was eight years old and could hardly put the clutch all the way in because I had to drive while he was feeding off the back. And the herd yeah. was about 100 to 129 head of cattle at that time. So it took us a good couple hours. I mean, at least an hour of feeding time every night in the winter. But I was the only child, even though I have... Um, I'm one of 10 siblings. I have seven older half siblings. They were all out of the house by the time I came along. And then my younger brothers were born when I was 11 and then 16. So during that farm, I was the only kid left at home that was old enough yeah. to help. Yeah. So I had a lot of experience, which I will say being helping your parents raise cattle is different than you raising cattle. There was a lot of, a lot of <laughs> knowledge I had, but it's still different when you're the one solely in charge. But the funny thing is, is so we that we got some goats. Um, they were not dairy goats. They were older goats. Then we got them to help clear our property when we purchased our property, which was family property, but we did purchase it and it was undeveloped. There was a ton. Like if you live in the Pacific Northwest, we have blackberries like no other and they are not native which is why they are actually so invasive they were brought i believe they originated in oregon i cannot remember the guy who brought them here anyways i talked well, about himalayan blackberries yes. yes i remember them well oh. our time in washington so i don't miss them no they are horrible things they're actually classified as a noxious sweet that's how bad they are however we got these two goats from my husband's cousin and they were older male goats and we were going to get them to help clear the brush, which was mainly these blackberry vines because we'd heard goats were great for that. So we get these two goats. And like I said, I have cattle experience. I have no goat experience. And I'm so glad that you say you should not start with them because I didn't start with them. They were our second piece of livestock. But the goats and I did not get a long at all. They would get out. There was the one male goat. And my husband thought I was exaggerating until he actually hid behind the corner and watched. Every time I would approach this male goat, he would raise up on his hind feet and try to strike at me with his front hooves. <laughs> and I guess I, I was just, and he was taller than me because he was a big goat when he was up on his hind feet. Yeah. I, so anyways, I did not have any fond feelings for this goat. And we had just bought this property. We did everything ourselves. I mean, scraped together. And I'd finally gotten enough money to go buy a few plants to plant alongside of our driveway, which I got some azaleas and rhododendrons because I was infesting in perennials so that they would come back every year. Oh, so I, no. Yeah. Yeah. You know where this is going. So not <laughs> only did we have this goat on a chain, like staked out, it might not have been a chain, but it was, you know, like a stakeout inside a fenced pasture so he's double contained he got out and he ate every single rhododendron and azalea plant i had just planted and though they are supposed to be toxic to goats which i will tell you in the heat of the moment i was like i hope you die right now I was so mad no he was completely fine he just had diarrhea 
for like a week straight. And he, but he was fine. He was fine. I, I was not fine. And neither were my husband's ears by the time I got done, you know, throwing, throwing a crying, screaming fit at the same time on the phone, telling him what the goat had done. <laughs> so I agree with you. Goats are not probably the place I would recommend starting either. Yeah, we had, I mean, I, 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 that's a horrible story. And I will, I'm, I uh, had a very similar experience with all the first fruit trees that I planted. And I was like, again, scraped together, like the bottom of the barrel to get these things. I'd like, you know, spent, like I was working full, full, full time and like had just like, you know, been working weeks to like prepare the ground, didn't have a tractor, did all this stuff, like, you know, scraped together $500, put it all into blueberries and fruit trees and perennials that I was so excited about my homestead, uh, put them in, goats got out, decimated it all. And I was just like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> but you, you do have, you do still have goats. So for all of you who yeah. are goat lovers <laughs> and are like wondering where on earth or like you're up in arms, I do not have goats again yet, but Anne does. So there is a happy ending to, to the whole goat side stories we've been sharing. Oh, totally. There absolutely is. Cause really it is. It's um, Joel Salatin talks about this a lot. He, he talks about, you know, with any livestock, any livestock that you you try to make do something that it's that it's not intended to do, it's going to revolt. And so he talks about it with like the pigness of pigs um, and the chickenness of chickens. But it's like whatever whatever instincts or qualities are in inbred into them, not inbred, but like bred into them. Uh, th- those are the ones that you want to exploit and you want to y- use to your benefit on the farm. And so when you learn what those things are and kind of also how to outsmart them and their naughtiness, um, then goats, goats are wonderful. Like now that I have a, a really good setup, um, both for my milking setup and for my, my kidding and, and in my barn and also like how I contain them and how I protect them out when they're grazing in the pasture, like all that stuff. I now know enough about goats to have it all set up really, really well. And it's actually such a joy to have them now. Um, but, you know, I had a goat that ate the wiring out of our car and like, you know, swallowed multiple, not just one, multiple um, uh, bungee cords, like the metal and everything. And I just like so much worry and concern over this dumb animal. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like every every gate that I had secured with bungee cords, then the bungee cord got eaten and the gate got opened and then something got destroyed over and over and over again. So I have to ask now. What is your gate method that works with the goats or when you have them out in the pasture, what type of fencing, how, what's, what's been the switch? Yeah. So now I use electric netting and I do have the, the huge benefit of having more land so that they always have a a quote unquote job to do. Um, And we, we do rotational grazing. So they're always moving, but we have this super steep hillside on our property. So they have access to the kinds of things that they want to, that they really want to eat. And they, and um, I now move them. I have livestock guardian dogs. So I move them with the dogs and we have like, you know, a very specific routine. We do it at the same time. And um, I have, uh, you know, I have a, a, I use hog panels in the barn, like anywhere that they are, there's hog panels reinforced with wood. Like it is Fort Knox. There's no jumping, there's no climbing. Nothing is going to be able to escape out of that. And then for the gates, I have these cool two-way latches where you have to pick up, um, you have to pick up one side of the latch and push the gate open. And those things work fantastic. Okay. That that right there is is gold um, for knowing what works fencing-wise for the lovely goats, because they can be lovely, like you shared. Um 
another thing that I wanted to ask you, because I get asked this quite a bit too, but I'm curious to see if what your experience has been is the same as mine or not. And it's a question that actually listeners have sent in a lot of the podcast. So guys, you're going to love this question. But what methods have you found to be most helpful in managing your time so that you can do the things that you want to do on the homestead while also working full time? Because I think a lot of what we see on social media and maybe not, maybe it's just a social media I see. I mean, I know we all probably follow different people, but a lot of um, like larger homestead um people that I see, a lot of them are doing the home, the homesteading is their full-time job and sharing that on social media is part of it. But for those that want to enter into this lifestyle and are also working a full-time job, which I did until just two years ago, um, it's a little bit different in the way that you have to do things, or at least the way I found that I had to do things because I wasn't home on the homestead. So what have been some things that you found really helpful in still being able to homestead while working? That's a, that's a fantastic question. Cause like, even now, even though I'm technically full-time doing this stuff, I mean, I have a business outside of my homesteading stuff that takes like 60 to 80 hours a week of my time. That is not even remotely homesteading related. I am here on the, on the farm, which helps, but, um, but, but this has been the case for the last couple of years. And before that I was working outside the home full-time. And so they're like, probably honestly, the best, the best advice that I can give for, for learning time management, things like that is to, uh, is to use some patience and self-control. And I say this, like, I'm literally laughing as I say this, because this is, these are neither one of those things are things that I'm good at, but with that, it is so important to build good systems and good infrastructures on your farm before your homestead, before you, before you enter into that thing. So, um, sometimes that doesn't really work. Um, but let me expound upon this. We just talked about goats. So, um, like I said, so many people just get land and then immediately get goats and then suffer the consequences of that for years on end. (laughs) Um, but if you like, if you can, and if you can start with a little bit smaller, like start with chickens, um, and, and learn how chickens work. And then like, and, and with that, you can learn like some really good routine things like, you know, how to get up early in the morning and do that and, and how to even efficiency things like, where is it that you can keep the feed that is going to make it so you don't have to walk across the whole farm to get like a scoop of feed and then walk it over to the chicken coop. Um, how are you going to deal with water? Are, can you, is there an automatic water that you could use? Is there an automatic feed thing that you can use? Is there um, a way that you can keep your eggs clean? Um, all of those things like are little things that you like, like we were talking about earlier, incrementally learn and then add to and try. And so really with, with farming or, or literally anything that you're trying to be more efficient at the best way that you can build good habits is to observe what you're doing, like to be aware of what you're doing and to be constantly looking for ways that you can improve it or make it more efficient. So um, permaculture farming, it like it, it has one of the principles that I love the most is that it's like you want to take instead of doing 10 hours of work for 10 minutes of thought, you want to take 10 hours of thought about how you can make every minute of your work work for you. Um, and so there's like a whole, a whole, like a whole nother podcast episode on even just any of this, but really if you build good, good systems that, that, that 
serve you on your farm to make things easier if you if you are always looking for ways that you can cut out wasted time or wasted trips if there's ways that you can batch your tasks so like maybe you're um maybe you have chickens and then you want to get goats could you put your goats right next to where you have your chickens um and then when you go out to take care of your chickens you can also do all the things that you need for your goats or if you just have chickens and you want to have a garden could you put your garden right next to the chicken coop so that all of the like all of these tasks can be batched together so that everywhere that you walk you can put things a lot like in your way so that when you are walking that way you can pick up the tools that you need and you're not having to you know make all these extra trips and all these things and this is kind of it even goes back to what we were talking about earlier with cooking or or, or meal prep or anything it's like uh you start and your entire project is baking bread but then once you once baking bread is automatic you once you've figured out where you can keep the flour and the yeast so that you can do all those things really really quickly uh then you can while you're in there also make chicken stock and also whip up a batch of cheese and also make some soup for for your meal prep or whatever and and at, like the more that you can learn to to layer these things and to to make everything as efficient as possible the more that you're able to add in and so, I mean, um, another permaculture thing is that like, if you're gonna do a little bit, why not do a little bit more that can serve you for longer? So, um, you know, you and I are both making, making content for the, inter for the internet. So like another way to look at this is it's like passive income. Um, when, you, when you're making a YouTube video, is there a way that you could film a little bit more to make a, a online course that you could, people could download and you could sell that long-term so that you only have to make that piece of content one time, but it's going to serve you forever. I look at everything in my life from like my Sunday meal prep to my woodworking projects to my farm. I think about everything with that. Like I have little or like how I do my laundry, every single thing that I do in life, I'm constantly like taking notes about what I'm doing and like I carry around a physical timer with me. <laughs> I'm a super nerd that way. I, I'm always trying to beat my time or to like figure out how I could, Hey, you know, I feed the animals every day and I also have to open my mail every day, but like the, I'm always looking for scissors when I'm opening the mail. So why don't I just put my mail right by my feed bags where there's always scissors so that I can do both things at the same time. And then I'll get it done every day. So the more more things that you can make more efficient, the systems that you can build, having good infrastructure and setup is 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 really like honestly how you end up stacking more and more onto your plate. I'll give one more really quick example of this. Um, like I love to do this when we're talking specifically to farmers because how like you've had livestock before. How many times ha have you had to spend fifteen minutes filling up a bucket of water? that then you have to carry somewhere. So I, on our old homestead, didn't have any like outdoor faucets anywhere um, except for right by the house. So every day I would spend 15 minutes filling up five gallon water buckets and taking them down to my animals. Well, after one year of a 15 minute task repeated again and again and again, that's 91 hours of time. And so in farm life, everything feels like an emergency all the time. So it's really hard to stop what you're doing and prioritize doing something that feels like a big project that's going to take time away. But if you start to learn to, to look ahead a little bit and be like, okay, I have to do this for 15 minutes every single day. What if I were to stop right now and spend four hours doing something that's going to save me 91 hours? Or what if I stop right now and pay someone 
for four hours to do something that's going to save me 91 hours ultimately. Like if you can start looking at, at the things that you want to do and the goals that you have for your life and for your farm, like that's how it gets done. I mean, I have 80 animals now. And when I'm not, if we exclude the milking of the ridiculous amount of goats that I have right now, if we exclude that, I have almost almost every day I can finish all my chores in 15 minutes or less. That is really impressive. That is super good. You know, what's so funny as you were as you were just sharing this, I was thinking back and how you have to be open. I think sometimes at least I'm speaking for myself. Obviously, I'm speaking for myself. That sounded stupid, but you know what I mean is I, you get in a rut. You get in the way that you've always done things. And so what mm-hmm. you're really saying is look at the way you're doing things and see where you can change it. And I've done this multiple times in my kitchen where we've actually um, like remodeled or I just redone, like went through and decluttered and took out things that I really wasn't using, but also changed the position. Like I used to have um, like my spatulas and my wooden spoons and everything across the kitchen next to the sink instead of where the stove is. Like how like it was just silly. Like why? Just because I'd always had them in that drawer when we first moved in, when I would spend time every time I needed a wooden spoon and it sounds like, oh gosh, what was it? Three or four steps. I mean, like 10 seconds to go get it, but it adds up. And so it was removing just everything in the kitchen so that it was in really easy reach of the space or the station that I would need it in or would use it in the most. It was moving the knives next to the stove instead of having them over at a different area of the kitchen, like little things like that. But what I really, when you were talking as right now, as I was thinking, we have an outside faucet out by our pump house, which is where the cows get watered at. Um, It's close to the pigs as well as, well, my chicken coops are movable. We use movable chicken coops. And so they're usually within somewhat of a distance. However, we have this really skinny hose because our big hose that can put a lot of water through it at once, finally, after the 15 years we've lived here, got a crack in it and I haven't replaced it yet. Why? Why not go and replace it? Take the time to go buy the big capacity hose because the little silly hose we have hooked up now, I'm not kidding you, takes 10 minutes to fill the cow's water trough because I don't have it on an automatic filler or timer. And so I'll turn it on while I'm taking care of the chickens and everything else. So I'm not like literally standing there for 10 minutes, but sometimes I'm done with the chickens and I'm still waiting for the water to fill up. So when you were saying, I'm like, Melissa, go get a new big hose, like, duh. <laughs> so yes. there's my duh moment that, that I just solved as you were talking because it forced me to think about oh, what is my routine with the animals right now? Well, even that though, is like, I mean, so, I mean, there is one, one other layer of that, that does like complicate this. I say, you know, like, you know, 91 hours of my time now is worth me paying a plumber to come and put in a new water line for me or whatever. Um, But not, uh, but I mean, back then there was no way I was going to be able to afford to hire a plumber to come out and do it. And I'll be honest, actually, now I, I refuse to pay a plumber because I'm like, I'm not paying someone $95 an hour to do something that is so easy to do myself because now I know, but I now have done enough plumbing jobs that I know that I can do it quickly and efficiently and it's not going to become a whole thing. But I mean, just even being able to stop and thinking about that, you can go and buy a new hose, but like if, you know, if your homestead is, is just getting off the ground and you have no money, it is so hard to know or to give yourself permission to even justify costs like like buying a new hose. And I think that that's how those, I think that's how those habits kind of like get become permanent because it's like, well, I can't, 
you know, you were telling me it takes a long time to drive into town. I can't even justify the four hours that it would take to go get that hose, much less, you know, what if that hose costs like a hundred dollars or something? I just don't have that money. And, and there are so many things like that in homesteading that you're constantly like, well, it's going to be this cost or this cost. And it's, uh, you know, I can't afford to do this, I can't, but I could afford to do this. Ultimately, like, it is such a balancing act to learn what you can and can't prioritize because yeah, maybe it is that, that right now where you're at in your financial journey, you like, you can't afford to buy a new hose and that you just have to spend those $91, but like, I mean, those 91 hours moving that bucket. But what you could do is like every day, see about like, you know, what's three cents that I could save today that I could put towards that hose or like whatever else. And so like thinking about everything that in, in ways that like maybe, maybe buying a new hose or maybe putting in a line is too much or too big right now, but what's something that you can do today that gets you one step closer to solving that problem. I really like that. And I have to say that is a principle that we have used. Cause when we first moved here, like I said, it was undeveloped property. We, um, you know, cleared it ourselves. We had to put in the well and the septic, and then we have a manufactured home, which is a fancy way of saying a double wide because we couldn't afford the mortgage for a stick belt home. We did have it. We actually got bids and had custom house plans, which I still dream about <laughs> those house plans, but it wasn't something that, that we could afford. And so, you know, we, we got a loan and, and did that. We tried to do as much of the work as possible but even with like making improvements, which is where I'm going with this, like making improvements, like we don't have a garage and we would love to have like a, a barn and a garage with like a shop so that we could work on more things and have room for tools so that we could be, you know, become more self-sufficient and all that type of stuff. But we don't, we didn't have money to put those in. And so we did what we could afford at the time. But just like you're saying, and even the small things, I think it's really important, like me using the vegetable scraps, the onion skins. You guys, I would have thrown onion skins away or put them in the compost. I didn't realize- Please tell me you're about to talk about stock. I Oh, babe, yes, that's where I'm going. Yes, yes because I didn't know that the onion skins have a lot of nutrition in them. They give gorgeous color. Um, I didn't know that you could save all of those little things, the ends of your carrots. Nobody uses the ends of the carrot. Well, very few people use the end of their carrots, I should say. Like when you are chopping up carrots to put into soup or the, you know, the rough ends of the celery or the stocky part of the celery. We don't put those usually in what we're cooking, but all of those little things now I save and I just put in a big old freezer bag. And when that freezer bag is full up, then I've got all of the vegetable stuff that is just odd and ends that would have maybe went to the livestock now that we have livestock or the compost pile. But in the in my early years, I would have just thrown it away. Like I, I yep. didn't even do a compost pile back then. But now I've got, and this is again, one of those time-saving things. So now when I go to make stock, I just pull out my bag of frozen whatnots. It's already small. It's all ready to go. I dump it in my pot. I dump in the bones or the carcass if it's a couple of roasted chickens we're doing and the, the chicken feet throwing in there. Pour the water over it and away we go. Like it's literally two minutes of time for me to get a thing of stock or bone broth going. But when I look at how much that stuff is in the store now, oh my goodness. But I think that's an important thing is to look like, okay, this is what I'm saving now. So the money that I used to spend buying broth and stock, I need to take that and be conscious of it and put it into a fund or put it into savings or, you know, make, make notes of this because otherwise the money that you are saving by doing these tasks 
you will just spend on other things if you're not consciously putting it into a savings account or into a fund or saving for something specific, which I love, like you said, like actually being like, this is what I'm saving this money for. Um, when you have it just even cemented in your mind or maybe within your, your banking account, like you're actually putting it into a fund that's labeled new hose or new waterline or whatever, um, it makes it different than if you're just doing it and you're like, oh, well, I think I'm saving money, but you're not being really conscious with it. At least it has for me. Oh, yeah. Well, what you're talking about, Joel Salatin calls that like he talks about it as slippage and and slippage. It can happen with your time or with your money or like or anything, really. It, it's it's just those unnoticed small things. And I mean, ultimately, this this is the the ultimate answer to what to what you you were asking earlier about how like how do how do I have time to do all the things that I do is that like I mean and the funny thing is there's still so much slippage in my life but I'm I am actively always looking for it and and trying to identify it and point it out and and be and be sure that it's not happening um, you know and that that helps me to be a way better saver it helps me to be a better employer it helps me to be a better farmer. Um, but it also, it, it opens up so much opportunity for me to be able to have finances, to do the things that I want to do, and also to have the time to do the things that I want to do. But I love so much that you, uh, said that thing about the, about the onion skins and the stock, because like, that's, I mean, there is, there is slippage in every area of every, every, even the most productive, efficient people in the, in the world can find more time for things that are actually important. I loved what you said earlier about the cheese making. You're like, I don't have time, but actually I could make time if it was really important. And that's, I mean, that's honestly true about anything, but it's like, I think a lot of people look at all that stuff and they're like, it's gotta, it's gotta be a huge sacrifice. Like I've got to, you know, if I want to start a business, that means I'm going to spend less time with my kids actually probably doesn't mean that at all. There's, there's so many things you can do. Um, but again, it's like things that you're incrementally adding in your life, not all kinds of things that you're trying to do at once, but like just, just being conscious, um, keeping, like I say, I said, keeping notes. I, I actually, I actually keep notes. I have a little notebook that I carry around with me almost all the time. And I have a pen handy at all times so that I can write things down, which helps me not forget things, helps me to be more intentional about making sure things get done. It's also like things like, oh my gosh, if I were to move this over here, it would save me 10 steps. If I were to do like if I were to do things in this order instead of this order, I would be able to save 10 minutes. And it, that's really where you're going to find find the time to be able to do the things that you need to do. Because, again, like, you know, that's how that's how you get things like chore time with with 80 animals down to 15 minutes. I, if I'm not careful, I could easily easily spend four hours doing that 15 minutes of work because, you know, there's baby goats involved. I could just like stop and pet them. I could take pictures on my phone, which reminds me I need to send an email, which if you give a mouse a cookie, then he needs a glass of milk. And like, and then there you go, half your day's gone. Um, and ultimately being, being really conscious of, of how you're spending your time, what you're doing, how you could be more efficient is all going to be what gets you there. I love that. And I actually like that you carry a, a timer. What is that? Is it called the, I'm probably going to butcher this. I think it's called the Podoroma effect that however much time you give a task is how much time you will spend doing it. So if you, give yourself a lot of time that's how long it'll take if you give yourself a little bit of time then that's how long it will take i think yeah. hopefully i got that Pomodoros. right there we go yeah. yeah yeah i knew i had it wrong but you knew what i was referencing so that's always helpful yeah. no it absolutely that is it, it is so so true i mean it's kind of like why people like people who are last minute people i mean like i am more efficient 15 minutes before something is quote unquote due than i am in the 15 hours before it it's just it just is what it is so i've I've built 
that like emergency setting, which by the way, has not been good for my blood pressure. So not fully recommending this, but like, you know, in, in smaller ways, I've built that kind of urgency into my life for like most things that I do so that I have those cutoffs and, and, and you eventually, ultimately you have to be okay with not doing the perfect version or your imagined perfect version of whatever you're doing for a period of time until you can kind of like build up to whatever that perfect version looks like. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I now need to get a timer to carry with me because I don't even know how many minutes it takes me. And I'm like, if you don't know how long it takes you, then you can't really get better because you don't have anything to measure it on. So I need to go get myself a timer. I needed to get myself a birthday gift anyway. So now I know what I'm Well, you know, I will say there is, okay, as long as if you have an iota more self-control than I do, um, you could probably just use the timer that's on your phone and the notepad that's on your phone. Because generally speaking, we have both of those things with us at all times. Um, and then you're not carrying around another thing. And then it's not like, oh, well, I forgot my timer. So I can't time what I'm doing today. So, I mean, like, but the thing is that like, I, I like almost physically cannot pick up my phone without then doing something else that then leads me to something else. And then it's been five hours. So like, that's, that's my problem. Honestly, okay, that cool. is, well, then get your, that's then my get problem. A timer yeah. And get a notebook and leave your, leave your phone in the other room. Oh, I need that. Here's one other, here's some more unsolicited advice. And I'm like, literally, we're probably so far over time right now. I should have set a timer for this podcast. Oops. <laughs> um, we're good. But there's also like, if, if phone things are the reason that you have slippage in your life, uh, there's actually, uh, there's some huge things that I've done with phone stuff. Uh, first, being aware. So your phone, if you have like, I don't like, I'm sure that this exists on non iPhones too, but iPhones can, can, can give you a weekly screen report of like how you, like how many hours you were on your phone each day and what you were doing while you're doing that. So that can be really helpful. But if you don't have any self-control, there's an app called freedom that um, will set a timer on apps so that you can only spend a certain amount of time each day doing those. Um, you, there's like lots of other things too, but like, there's also, um, if you, if you can open, if you can use your phone or your timer, um, you mentioned the Pomodoro thing. There's an awesome technique that you can do where you spend 25 minute chunks with five minute breaks. So if you could set a phone on or a timer on your phone for 25 minutes, and then say that you're going to do exactly this for 25 minutes, not get distracted, not do anything, but then reward yourself with five minutes of phone time at the end of it. Um, you can actually like accomplish a whole lot because that, that time period there adds in that urgency and that like kind of, um, you know, that emergency feeling that, that, you know, we were talking about earlier. There's also other time management tools. Like uh, I had a hard time showing up where I needed to show up for a little while. So uh, there's like my business partner, Josh showed me this app that has a QR code scanner that um, you, your phone will like um, not shut off a very, very loud and annoying noise until you've scanned this code. So I would put that code where I was supposed to be at a certain time. So like, you know, to get out to milk the goats at five, five in the morning, even when it's cold, you put the QR scanner or the QR code in the barn. And then your phone, if you're like cozy in bed and, you know, the sun has already risen, your phone won't stop making this horrible no noise until you get down to the barn and scan the QR code. Um, that's a little bit more extreme for people that literally have zero self-control, but hello, you're talking to one. Um, another thing is like keeping your phone in the other room while you're sleeping and using an old fashioned alarm clock, um, so that you don't wake up and scroll or go to bed and scroll. Um, you know, the, the like, there's so many things I, I, but yes. Okay. The QR code went in the screaming. I 
that one I find fascinating. I am not a morning person by nature at all. (laughs) I do not like to get up early. And so if I'm going to get up early, I will actually do where I have the old fashioned like rings and like rocks back and forth with the little like hammer that hits things. Yes, love and it. I, and I have to put it on the other side of the room so that I physically have to get out of bed to turn it off. Um, otherwise, I will just knock it off the dresser and hit snooze and like almost do it reflexively and not even realize it and just go right back to sleep. So that QR code one is a very interesting. I have not heard of that before, but that has some potential. Um, I forgot what it's called right now. I, I should have come more prepared, but I also didn't think I would be giving you so much okay. <laughs> advice about your phone. But like the funny thing for me, it's not getting up early. I actually wake up like at like four, four or five o'clock in the morning, like no problem at all. It's actually just like the, like, like the ex- existential dread of like, what's going to happen that day. Like, the, like it's like, I, I struggle with anxiety and depression, which is part of why I had to get out of Washington. Uh, but like, literally that was a big part of it. So actually like, I know that the way that I start spiraling is by like sitting there and thinking about all the things that have to happen and like building that up in my mind and knowing that that's going to be such a huge challenge and all that stuff. And then, and then suddenly it's been four hours and I feel horrible. And I I then have talked myself into not being able to do it. So actually that was really helpful not to wake up, but to literally get the heck out of the house and get to doing what, what actually does make me feel good. Uh, Which, you know, even as, as naughty and awful as goats can be, it always makes me feel good to have like all that stuff done and to, to know that everyone's well taken care of. And, um, you know, that then the day it's, you know, it's, it's, it's 7am and you have already accomplished so much as opposed to it being 10am and you're still laying there. Yes. No, I, I love it. These were all such really good tips. I think we could go on for a very long time, but for the sake of listeners, and for you and I, um, if you have any final words or where is the best spot for people to connect with you because they definitely want to keep in touch and see all of your lovely um, goat antics, which is a lot of fun, as well as your guardian dogs. I've really enjoyed actually um, a lot of your sharing of your guardian dogs as well. Well, and we have the the beef cattle that just arrived too, which is very exciting for lots of reasons. But mostly the biggest reason is that they take, like, basically you check and make sure that they have water and then you move their fence every three days. And that's literally all of the care that they take. It's like the most amazing animal ever. I can't believe I didn't do beef cattle. That's what I tell people. Okay, this is my thing. People always say start with chickens and I understand it. They are small. You can start with chickens without having lots of acreage, because if you have beef cattle, you need definitely more space than a backyard. However, as far as the level of care, beef cattle are the easiest, like no joke. They are by far the most passive form of livestock I feel that one can have. Oh yeah. And my dairy cow, which is like how I got into the beef cows is because I was like, oh my gosh, if, if this cow is this way, like how amazing would it be to have more cows? But yeah, that my dairy cow is like six months a year, like literally all she has to do is like stay alive. But then six months a year, I sp- I have like the most loyal, like well-trained, kind, like beast of a loving companion that you could possibly have. And so, yeah, cows, I, I am a huge fan of fan of cows and um they're super intimidating because they're so big but i would i mean literally except for with like like i said before about the goats like milking aside even with the dairy cow i mean it literally takes less time to take care of my dairy cow than chickens so 
yeah, yeah that's I guess that's my parting thought. But if you do want to find me or what I'm doing, you can find me pretty much anywhere on the internet at, uh, by looking up Anna of All Trades. I have uh, Instagram is kind of where you can find daily content and like a lot more farming stuff there uh, very specifically because it's just it's so easy to share what daily life is like there. I have a YouTube channel as well, Anna of All Trades, and I'm really passionate about teaching um, stuff. And that's actually what has led me to starting a temporarily online school that will then also be a physical school as soon as we get the building built here in um, Tennessee as well. So you can find that at annavalltrades.com or schoolofalltrades.com. And there we have all kinds of things. Like basically we're just trying to teach disappearing life skills um, to people who, who want to get more out of their lives. And so, you know, whether it's baking bread or, or carving spoons or learning how to deal with livestock or using raw milk, like that's the kind of anything that, that would have been done a hundred years ago. Oh, which dang it. Here we are again. A hundred. I, I heard you say one time that you wish you were born a hundred years ago. And I've always said that's like literally my whole life I've spent, I've said I was born in the wrong century. Yes. Should have been doing this. And then I was like, oh my gosh, we are soulmates. And here we are now. They're half hour long podcast. We've been talking for like three hours. <laughs> we have, but it has been, it has been a joy. And yes, I always felt like I am an old soul in a modern world. And I was born a century too late. Like Lori Ingalls Wilder and I, we would have been besties. I just know it. Yep. Buzz and buddies. Yes. Well, Anne, thank you so much. And guys, I hope you really enjoyed this interview. We will have to talk again soon, very shortly. Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Well, my friends, I hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. And you got some great takeaways for being more productive with your time and some of those hacks at home. And I wanted to share for our verse of the week. I don't always do a verse of the week. You've probably noticed this for my my longtime listeners. I don't always do a verse of the week when it's not a solo episode, when it's an episode where I'm interviewing someone else. But as I was recording this intro and outro for you to accompany this episode, I really wanted to share this verse with you because if you are in the United States, it seems that we're going through a lot of still, even now, um, upheaval, shall we say, if you're watching the news or social media, different things like that. And one of the things that has really been helpful to me, and not only in regards to social media or political differences, but really even when dealing with difficult situations and or difficult people in my personal life, is to remember this verse, it really helps to keep things in perspective. So the verse I'm sharing with you is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And this is the King James Version. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Because so often when I see people say things, via be it typing on a keyboard or in person or on video or you know whatever your context is that it's happening and in this day and age a lot of it may be virtually it can be really easy to let our emotions jump in and we can have anger or disbelief or hurt and i'm not saying that you know if someone's hurting you that you're not going to have those feelings but it can be really easy to let those emotions come in and completely damage a relationship and sometimes even sever it. And sometimes there are relationships that we need to step away from. So I'm not saying this is like a blanket statement, but in a lot of cases, if we just remember 
that it's not that person that we are battling against. It is against the enemy who, if you are a Christian, which I obviously am, I'm sharing this with you, then that is Satan or the devil, however you want to say that one. But he is behind all of the strife and all of the hardness and all of the bad things in this world and all of the inflammatory statements or just any of those things that seem to really cut us and are hurtful and are not good. He is behind them. And so we're not really truly wrestling with that person. We need to remember that the force behind it, it's not them, it's the enemy. And for me, that means uh, praying for the covering of the blood of Christ and standing strong in him and for Jesus to give me wisdom on how to deal with the situation and to do spiritual warfare via prayer and not via my mouth against the person or with my fingertips typing away on the keyboard, which can be a lot harder to do than it sounds when I'm sharing it here with you. But I've really, um, as I've been dealing with my own emotions over certain things that have happened, uh, you know, in the past couple of weeks, and I'm sure will continue to happen just as human nature is, this verse has really been pressed upon my heart and one that keeps coming up. And so I felt if it's a verse that's really serving me well, then someone else who's listening may need to hear it. And I hope that it brings you some perspective and also some peace as well. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know it was a longer one, but I hope that you find it very helpful. And I can't wait to be back here with you again next week. So blessings and mason jars for now. Mm -hmm.